Kumara, you've been here like... Tim, I'm like part of the furniture. I'll take um, my mask off. I think he's guest preached here at least, I reckon, three times yes, over the three. last yeah, few it years. It would have been, well, at, at least two times since I've been down the coast. And That's it right. was probably at least once, this is the center, um, since... I'm going to make this a bit higher, is that right? Do, yeah, you are um, talking about me, it's true. At least, yeah, then once when I was, was pastoring Ashgrove Baptist, so just down the road. And what have you been doing for the last four and a half years? Getting old. Um, See the last four and a half years. Um, that, how long has it been? Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. So four and a half years. Well, f- about yeah, five five and a half years since we moved down from Brizzy. Uh, so we went down to part of a church uh, called Liberty Carrara uh, with the goal of planting a church about twenty minutes north in Coomera. So just think Dreamworld. Um, we, we, we're Northern Gold Coast, but people on the real Gold Coast call us like South Logan. Um, so it's not as glamorous. Um, but we say, hey, we're, we're Dreamworld, and Dreamworld's on the Gold Coast. So. Um, Church at Dreamworld, guys. Seriously, yeah, Dream- why are you here? Dude, we we literally, we didn't have a building at one stage, and we were, we got prices for like gathering in Legoland. Um, it was really hard to find a space. So anyway, that's where we are. Um, the Lord's been really kind. Uh, we got to pray in two elders last week, which is awesome. So, so Sam, you had here this morning. Um, yeah, he's one of our, our elders and pastors there, and that's just been a tremendous blessing. And um, yeah, seeing people come to faith and gather around the good news of the gospel. It's okay. been unreal. And That's uh, rad. Also, we, I had two, two extra people to our family, um, two children, so gotcha. in the last five years. Okay. Yeah. One wife, two kids. Okay, yeah. gotcha. <laughs> no, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Um, yeah, so Sam shared with us this morning, yeah, that he had, um, that last week you guys voted him in. Yeah. And another pastor, Matt Lean. Yeah. Very exciting. And so, yeah, um, yeah. Well, how can we pray for, for liberty? Yeah. Um, you can pray for um, just our evangelistic um, zeal. We, we love the gospel. We want to continue to spread and share the gospel. So you can pray for our evangelistic zeal. Uh, and you can pray um, particularly just for, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of spouses where one spouse comes to, to church and worships Jesus, the one doesn't. And um, that comes with particular uh, difficulties. So just pray for the spouses of those at, at Liberty as well. That'd be cool. Wonderful. Amen. Well, let's pray for those things. Oh, do you have anything else? How can we pray for you personally as well, being, being lead pastor? Yeah, uh, look, pray that I can remain faithful to the Lord and uh, love my family well and manage my time well. Yeah, that'd be that's, great. Those are good things to pray for. Let me pray. Thanks, would Steve. you pray with me, guys? Cheers. Um, Father, firstly, I just want to thank you for the good work you've done through this new young church down in Liberty, Coomera. Lord, um, this church here has been standing for 149 years and hmm. um, Liberty's been standing for five years. And Lord, we, um, yeah, we... We have the one thing in common, uh, not our ages, Lord, but uh, that we both seek the Lord Jesus and his heart and his will for our world. And so, Lord, I pray for that continued mission down in Liberty Coomera. Lord, would you give the people a real heart that beats with the same, uh, beats with the same heartbeat of, mm. of, of you, Lord. Um, yeah, the heart of Jesus, Lord, with that heartbeat. Uh, propel out this church to be... Um, Salt and light, spoilers, um, Lord, uh, and would you do a good work in this people, uh, in this in that area of Brisbane, Lord? Um, yeah, we also want to lift up uh, this man here, Lord, and his ministry, Lord, and uh, his family, Lord. Would you keep him faithful to your word, faithful to the the calling you've placed upon his life, and would he lean in his weakness into your strength in all things? We pray all these things in the name of our all sufficient Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
God bless him, hey? Thanks, brother. Well, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to spend some time in the Sermon on the Mount looking at the call to be salt and light. Um, thanks, Mike, uh, for having us and got a lot of love for you and for Matt. And, uh, and Ben, good to have you here as well. And I just love that Ben pumped up um, the band that he's playing on um, for Y Conference. So uh, that's awesome. Uh, that's brilliant. So let me read the text and um, then we'll jump into um, the sermon. So Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, your word is true, and your word is good. Your word has the power to divide uh, the thoughts, um, intentions of the heart. And we pray, God, that this evening you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Would your Holy Spirit empower us to now encounter you through your word. And we pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. So our teaching text is from Jesus' um, Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, uh, really, if you were to summarize it, is Jesus describing what it looks like uh, to live as a Christian when Jesus is your king. What does life in the kingdom look like? Now, he's been describing a life that is, in fact, quite distinct. Now, there's a bunch of ways that people can be distinct. Um, there's certain subcultures that arise, particularly around urban central cities, around um, distinct subcultures. So you think of the hippies that kind of um, rose up through the 60s. Before them, it was the beatniks. Um, and then, uh, the, you know, the 90s, I don't know, just kind of people dressing weird and whatnot. Um, then you had uh, anyone get through like a bit of an emo phase, an emo rocker phase. There's a few of it. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful phase. And then the rise of the hipster um, and the metrosexual before that. Um, hipsters kind of lost a bit of ground, right? It's kind of phased out. It's become mainstream. It's not as distinct. And um, apparently, apparently, um, there's um, yuckers. Has anyone heard this? Um, young urban creatives, um, also called soft bogan or eco bogan, uh, which is just amazing. Kind of, it kind of just gives me a picture of like I don't know, like Moray Field on like I don't know something crazy. But but there's these like distinctive subcultures, and Christians are similar as well, right? We've We've got this distinctiveness about us that, that Jesus is going to ask us here that he really wants us to retain if we're going to be any good in the world. In fact, he says, if you lose your saltiness, you are good to be thrown out, trampled underfoot, good for nothing. There's a call today to, to be distinct. Um, as, we've, as Jesus moved through the Sermon on the Mount, he has told people, um, what it looks like to be in the kingdom. And, and firstly, the real question is, are you in the kingdom? So when Jesus starts the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's head up to the mountain, he's got the crowds there, he speaks to his disciples, and he, he opens his mouth and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He, he kind of gifts them the kingdom of heaven. He says, enter into the kingdom. So are you in the kingdom? Um, when he says now, you are salt of the earth, it's, it's not like he's giving you an option. If you're in the kingdom, 
you are salt of the earth. It's not a, you might be salt, you might not be. No, no, you are salt of the earth just as because you've entered into the kingdom. You're in the kingdom. So are you in the kingdom? That's where he begins. He's, he's, he kind of moves through then painting a picture of the Beatitudes of what a Christian looks like. Meek, gentle, lowly, peacemakers. This is this kind of painted picture describing the Christian life. So now that he's asked, are you in the kingdom? And he's kind of painted the picture of what life in the kingdom looks like. He, he now really raises the question, well, how on earth could a people like this make a difference in the world? You've got to remember, we're standing here a couple thousand years later on the back end of Christianity's global success. But when you're just a handful of disciples on a mountaintop with a Galilean teacher, and he's just said, oh, by the way, you know, you're going to be like to the world, that can be pretty daunting. What are you going to do with a bunch of meek, humble, gentle people who are persecuted? How on earth are they ever going to impact this world? Well, they do it because they're salt and they're lies. Two metaphors to picture how disciples leave an impression on the world. You are the salt of the earth. Salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? Now, when it comes to understanding and applying metaphors, it's good to let them stand on their own two feet instead of making them run on all fours. It's remarkable the amount of things that salt can be applied to, and particularly also with lies. But the thing that both metaphors have in common is this. They both have a distinct impact, a noticeable impact on the world. So take salt, for instance. Um, Salt was used um, to put on meat to preserve meat back in the day. Uh, before there were refrigerators, um, you know, meat would go off quite quickly. So you'd have your meat, you'd rub salt in it, and that would keep it um, you know, alive and well. Or you could place it, place it in a saline solution um, to keep it from decaying. Now, it's true that salt also has a flavorsome dimension to it. Um, any of our connoisseurs getting their Himalayan rock salt you know, nestled from the third peak of, you know, I don't know, Cozy Island, wherever it is, um, you know, this kind of, overpriced salt yes there's a there's a flavorsome to it but that's kind of more our our kind of modern understanding of salt like salt really here was a was a preserving impact so jesus is saying saying to, hey hey christians you, you ought to have a preserving impact in the world you are salt of the world people of god was always were always meant to have an impact on the world um think of israel the, these people were in fact a recipients of the covenant of salt uh, which is what's called in Numbers 18:19. They were to have an enduring, long-lasting relationship not only with God but with their world, to be able to continue to witness to the world. They were chosen for a purpose: to be distinct, to be set-apart agents in the world for preservation. Israel was also to be a light to the nations. And so, you're a disciple growing up around kind of Jewish world, the teachings of Torah. You're now hearing Jesus say that you here, believers, you here who are about to enter into my kingdom, you are salt of the world, salt of the earth, light of the world. You, the meek, the humble, the persecuted, you are going to have a preserving impact, not just of Israel, not just in the little region around, but the world. It'd be quite intimidating. You're going to help function as a preserving agent in a world of decay. Now, can we all agree that our world is in a bit of a state right now of decay? 
It's, it's, it does, I don't, we have to, I don't have to throw charts up and stats up. I think many of us can just take a, a walk outside or turn the telly on us. Our world's in a bit of a state. But did you know what our grandparents thought of the world? They thought it was in a bit of a state as well. A bit of a state of decay. And do you know what their grandparents thought too? Gee, the world's in a bit of a state. See, the truth is, ever since the fall, the world has been in a bit of a state of decay. And by God's grace, through both common grace, but through specific through, through the people of God, there's been a preserving agent at work in the world. Here, it's through the lives of Christians. The truth is, though, we haven't really progressed too far when it comes to depravity. Um, I was reading, reading an article um, earlier in this year, and we're in an interesting moment right now because culture is actually kind of so decayed and so depraved that they've actually begun looking to Christians as, as the preserving power to help the decay of society. Listen to how one writer, Emma, Emma Wood is her name. She was writing an article addressing the um, sexual assault um, pandemic that we're in, this kind of culture that we live in in Australia. And her insight was that a recreational view of sex was significantly contributing to a sexual assault culture. And, and here's, here's what she said. This was her proposal to, to deal with it. We're going to deal with it. They will need to reinculculate in students a sense of the significance and profundity of sex. And dare I say it, reintroduce students to the concept of courtship and romance. Religious schools ought to be stepping up to this challenge with particular vigor as their faith traditions contain some of the most beautiful articulations of the significance view, the biblical description of sexual union as two becoming one flesh. So she has tabled one of the solutions to the current decay in our world is that religious institutions, schools and churches need to step up to the plate and start teaching out a significance view of sex. Otherwise, this pandemic, this kind of pandemic of sexual assault culture is going to get out of control. Did you catch what she needs most? A, a distinct sexual ethic. To, I think that's a call to be salt. That's a call to be light, to be distinct, to, to, to have an impact. If you lose your distinctiveness, you're going to lose your impact. If our sexual ethics just mimic the world, we'd have nothing to offer them in that particular realm. In fact, we would be literally good for nothing. And isn't that's what he says, that's what Jesus says next. Look at verse 13. He says, You are the salt of the world, earth, sorry, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the world that we live in is a dangerous world, morally speaking. Now, it's also dangerous because it's a world that can actually kind of impact you. And so there's a warning for Christians that in our attempt to be salt, to have an impact on the world, we've got to be careful that the world isn't having an impact on us. Can you think of friends, family, perhaps with good intentions, wanting to engage certain spheres of society, certain, maybe they went to uni hoping to make a difference, but ended up getting swallowed up in that culture. I had plenty of friends enter the music scene. They wanted to impact for good and impact for God and fell prey to the typical story of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They were salt of the earth. They lost their saltiness. They lost their distinction. Salt isn't to lose its taste, for how will it be restored, you say? Now, 
Some of the scientists in the room are going to raise their hand and say, Darren, I know about salt, sodium chloride. This is, in fact, quite a stable compound, which it is, chemically speaking. Sodium chloride is more stable than, say, nitroglycerin, uh, which is dynamite. If you've got any of that, make sure you store it well. Um, if, if you're storing it, you've got bigger issues that Mike would love to talk to you about afterwards. So salt can't lose its saltiness per se. It, it, can't, it is what it is. But it can be thinned out, diluted, uh, mixed in, uh, adulterated, so to speak. So, so it can, can, can lose some of its taste, but also lose some of its power, some of its preserving power. So you lose your distinctiveness, lose your impact. And, and there is a kind of um, relevance to the world that is completely irrelevant, isn't there? One of the things in Red Frog's ministries down at schoolies that, that makes us quite relevant is the fact that we're not drinking and shooting up with the schoolies. Not that we come across too many of them shooting up, but, but we get the after effects. But, but there, it, we're distinct. If we just start joining in the, the party with them, we're not going to be much use. And Christians are to be distinct. Lose your distinctiveness, lose your impact. Could you imagine if Emma Wood's article in discovering one of the issues of this recreational view of sex went looking for a significant view of sex and went looking to the church but couldn't find that the church had anything to offer? That we'd become so um, non-political, liberal in our application of, of Scripture that we were no different to the world? What hope would we have? Lose your distinctiveness, lose your impact. Salt without saltiness is literally good for nothing. There's that stage when you have chewing gum that the distinct gum flavor begins to disappear. How many of you know what I'm talking about? If you grew up when you could get the 10, second, uh, 10 cent gum with the tattoo on it, anyone get those growing up? You'd have about 15 seconds of joy and then, then that thing was like tar. Well, you do, you, you throw it out. Well, it's, it's, lost, it's, lost its, it's lost its distinct. It's not good for anything. You throw it out. Well, Jesus is saying, if, if, if salt loses its saltiness, if you, if you fail to remain distinct, well, you're good for nothing. You throw it out, trampled on. Language is somewhat reminiscent of how Jesus would use his firm language about being cast out or thrown out, trampled. In fact, Jesus would say in Luke 14 that such salt is, is not even good enough for the manure pile. Now, that's a, that's a tough day at the office when you get rejected by a pile of dung. So it's not even good for that. It's good for nothing. So then how might we lose this saltiness? He's, he's calling us, saying you are the salt of the earth, and he's saying don't lose your saltiness. If you lose it, it's good for nothing. What are some ways that we might actually lose this saltiness? Well... One of the ways is obviously by no longer being distinct. Um, I think if you stay within the confines of the Sermon on the Mount, essentially, if the Beatitudes is what sets God's people apart, describing what life in the kingdom looks like, then if that's what salty looks like, then the losing of your distinctiveness is kind of the anti-Beatitudes. Instead of being poor in spirit, we're rich, we're proud, arrogant. Instead of thirsting for righteousness, we thirst for the things of the world. And instead of craving justice, we, we crave revenge. Instead of hungering for righteousness, we apathetic or even celebrate sin. Instead of peacemaking, we cause trouble. Salt that has lost its saltiness is good for nothing. We don't want to lose our distinctiveness. Do you hear what Jesus' point is? The point here is to remain distinct. 
as salt, as Christians, you enter into a deteriorating world. But you must be careful that you yourself do not deteriorate. It is good to influence the party, but you have to know when to stop when the party begins to influence you, to pull back, to remain distinct. Our question is less kind of what effect am I having on the world, but really is what effect is the world having on me? The world plays spot the difference, will they be able to see it? And I don't mean just in the big broad brushstrokes of life, that we're not getting wasted on weekends and we're, I don't know, super conservative clothing and listen to 96.5 on repeat. I'm talking about the way we conduct ourselves in conversations where we're quick to listen and slow to speak. Where we don't revile when reviled. Where we, we're prepared to have cars that are older than two, three, five years because all our money isn't in things, stuff. We're the kind of people who say, yeah, if you, if you need that, it's yours because I'm here to share Friends, the kind of point that Jesus really wants us to get at, the, the kind of focus is, are, are you remaining distinct? Are you remaining distinct? Well, the second metaphor then comes to help combat, I think, a potential misapplication of the first one. You could imagine a few of us being very excited, I want to remain distinct. I want to be distinct, live distinct, because that's what God's called us to do. Now we can look to some of our Amish brethren and see they're quite distinct. They've chosen to be distinct, but also what? Disengaged. So the first metaphor calls us to be distinct. The second metaphor calls us, kind of cautions us against disengaging, but rather engaging with the world in order to be seen. I remember hearing an interview between the author of uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, um, Pete Sikerzo, I, I struggle to pronounce his last name, and, uh, and Pastor John Marcoma. And he was talking about the desert fathers of the faith. And what these men knew, they, they kind of saw the, just the culture taking it down with spiral. And so they, they went to the desert, um, sought the Lord, uh, lived virtuous life. And the goal was to always kind of withdraw from society and return to be a potent force for good. However, when some went to the, the desert, they, they stayed there and remained there. They set up monasteries and they never returned. Well, the Christian isn't to have that kind of luxury of disengagement. No, no. They're called the light of the world. You see that? Our, our private holiness goes hand in hand with our public witness. We need to return and engage in the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Once again, this isn't like you might be. You are. This is what you are. Imagery of light has already been used for Jesus himself by Matthew previously in, in chapter 4, 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Who is this light? This is Christ, the Messiah. He has come to be the light of the world. And we derive his light. We, we, so we shine him, his attributes, his actions, his character, his demeanor. Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. No, you, you, you are, and you are, you alone are the light of the world. No one else is going to be the light of the world. You followers of Jesus, you are to reflect my light. And I think it's good thinking of this as a reflective light, um, because it kind of means we're not the light source ourselves, right? Um, so take the moon for instance. Um, hopefully, this isn't new information, but the moon doesn't have its own light so, uh, source of light. Um, 
the, the moon reflects the light of the sun. In the same way, Christians, to the degree that we reflect Christ, is the degree that we are a light to the world. Do you want to be a light to the world? Yes, so, so to reflect Christ to the world. The way I am to relate to the world then is to let Christ shine, not me. I want to give them a, a clearer picture of Christ, not a clearer picture of me. I can fade into the background if it means Christ can shine and his word can go first, fourth, sorry. As we seek to reflect the light of Christ, he will be unmissable. So he said, you are the light of the world. And this is Jesus' first point of this metaphor. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I think this is actually a very simple metaphor that can kind of get tripped up if we try and pull it apart too much. Um, some people think of like... Um, cities kind of lit up with candles you can see them at nighttime far away think of like seeing some Lord of the Rings that kind of light and fire you can see it far away or, or some people thought um, cities were built in like limestone which glistened in, in the sun and this is quite incredible but I, I think it's actually um, quite quite simple um, do you think you can hide big things on big hills I think that's what he's saying a city on a hill cannot be hidden you know there's no person walking by just going I've been walking this road and I've just never noticed Jerusalem before. I've just never seen, never seen that. Yeah, it's like walking to Niagara Baptist and going, I had no idea there's fairy lights. You just had never seen them before. It's like, you can't miss them. They're here. The lights are here, right? A city on a hill, it cannot be missed. So you, you kind of, it's unmissable. You can spot a Christian. You can spot a Christian. They, they talk, act, engage differently in the way they love and the way they serve. It, it may be subtle, but it is still significant. It is still significant. So not only are you going to be clearly visible, Christian, you're also going, it'd be silly to hide that away. Look at verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp, put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. So this is how houses were lit back in the days. They had oil lamps. Oil lamps light the little lamp. They didn't have electricity. And so with a little oil lamp, we have light. We can see. We can navigate our way around the house. Now, um, a couple months back, I was at a, a midweek gathering and the power went out. And um, it was one of those moments because growing up, power went out pretty frequently when I was younger. And it's kind of rare these days to the power to go out. And the power went out and it was good that the um, couple hosting uh, came out and they, they brought some candles and I made a seance joke and then repented um, in, in, the, in the gathering. And, um, but it'd be so weird if in this moment, the, the host, or imagine here tonight, imagine, imagine if it was dark and, and the lights went out. So Mike get some candles and get some candles out. So we can keep going on with the service. And what Mike does is, hey, he says, just give me a moment. He grabs his candles and he walks behind the baptismal area, puts them behind a curtain, and walks back down, says, all right, we're good to go now. Pray for Mike. Because when you light candles to give light, you know what you don't do with them? You don't go and put them away. You actually, the purpose of lighting and bringing it out, so what? So it can be seen. You are the light of the world, friends. You are unmissable. And because you are unmissable, it would be foolish to hide your light away. Do you know how many people are walking in darkness in our world? How many friends and family do not know how to navigate properly situations and circumstances they find themselves in. You're the light of the world. You get to help them navigate, to see clearly. 
how to respond in circumstances, how to grieve well, how to grieve as those with hope. You have the good news of the gospel to help light their life, show them truth, reveal sin, their need for a savior. Friends, you're the light of the world. You're unmissable. So don't hide it away. It would be bizarre. Just like we're tempted to lose our distinctiveness, we can also be tempted to hide the light. Can you think of times when maybe you've kind of hid the light of your, your, your faith? Through conversations where you get opportunity to, to either speak up for, for the Lord or clarify a misconception of Jesus or, or, or speak up for the good of others, but you, you kind of held back. You did bring the light of the gospel to bear on that situation. Perhaps um, people ask you what happened on the weekend. You, you, you don't tell them about the church thing, gathering with the other Christians. Tell them about other stuff you did because you're just not sure how it's going to go. Or maybe um, when others were partaking in some activities or actions that were sinful and yeah, you didn't want to, you wanted to fit in, but you just, so you just kind of joined in, you, you kind of hid the light. Lose your saltiness, lose your distinctiveness, lose your light. Well, friends, Jesus is saying, what kind of impact do Christians have in the world? Well, they had to, to live out a distinctly Christian life that helps light the path to reality, to, to human flourishing, to God himself. This light is to be seen. So you see the, the purpose here then in verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there's a purpose to having the light. So the lights went out and it was all dark and, and Mike got the candles. The purpose is so we can continue. So we can continue. So, so, so we can you know, press on. Here, here the purpose of the light shining is that, that others may see your good works and glorify and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's the point. That is the goal. We as Christians want to shine our lights so that the world may see God clearer and glorify Him. Now, I think there's two ways we can shine the light. One of them I'm going to discourage and one of them I'm going to encourage. The way to shine your light that I'm going to discourage, I'm going to call the Katy Perry effect. Okay? So her song Firework, I think, captures this quite well. This is how I don't think we should shine the light. She says... You got to ignite the light and let it shine just on the night like the 4th of July because baby, you're a firework. Now, most of you are glad I didn't sing that or um, dress like Katy Perry here this evening. But for Katy Perry, do you know what? Her whole, she, she's saying, you're the, hey, you got to let everyone know. You got to express yourself. Be loud. Be a firework. She's not pro-candle. She's, she's pro-firework. Everyone needs to know. Express yourself. Put it out there. Be on display. I have an identity. I need to perform my identity publicly. And I need others to affirm my identity. And if you don't affirm the light that I'm shining, how dare you? I'm a Christian shining my light. Well, you sound like you've taken a playbook out of the, the world. Because that's what the world's doing. The world wants to clear the stage. They can be on the center to have an identity, perform it in public, and have it affirmed. But not to do that. It doesn't look like the Beatitudes, does it? Meek, poor in spirit, contrite, heart. So the light, I think, that Christ would want us to kind of 
Brown wanting encourages to promote is is more like that that old hymn. You know the one, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. See, it's a little light, isn't it? In a really dark room, you don't need much light. In fact, if you've been, ever been to concerts and there's that moment when they're like, pull out your torch phone. You get your little torch phone out. There's one guy with like a Nokia 3315 or something. And, and everyone turns their little light on. There's no floodlights, no fireworks. All of a sudden, the whole place lit up. And it takes a little light to push back the darkness. Small actions done repeatedly over a long time can have big impacts. The commitment of a few can lead to the influence of many. Now, it only takes one person in a team, one person in an office, one person in a family, one teacher in a school to bring about change, to be the light, to see something people preserved, one friend in a group to do good works. In Uncle Baptist, there's however many here this evening, on the grand scale of of population in Brisbane, this, this isn't a great deal. You're the light of the world. And God has ordained that through this church, with its 100 plus year legacy, the light is still shining and it will continue to shine bright through people like you. Continue to light the path so people can see God more clearly. And you do it through your good works. And so sometimes in our gospel, you know, Good gospel Bible-believing churches, we you know, emphasis on grace. We, we can sometimes be a bit hesitant about good works. But good works are great if you put them in the right order. Saved by grace, for what reason? Well, your workmanship created by Jesus Christ for good works. So, Christian is to get about good works. I think good works are anything that is done um, in obedience to Jesus. Anything that is done in obedience to Jesus. Anything that is offered up in faith. I think it looks like the Beatitudes. Both, I think it involves both words and involves deeds. So a gospel demonstration and a gospel proclamation. I think good works looks like many of the things that Jesus says next in the Sermon on the Mount. Things like um, loving your enemies, cutting off sin in your life, forgiving others, reconciling. So, so good works just looks like living life out, living the life of the kingdom out. To shine that light, as one commentator said, he said, um, such Christians refuse to rob their employers by being lazy on the job or to rob their employees by succumbing to greed and stinginess. They are the first to help a colleague in difficulty. They're the last to return a barbed reply. They honestly desire the advancement of others' interests and honestly dislike smutty humor. They're meek in personal demeanor. They are bold in righteous pursuits. These are conspicuous acts of goodness, visible demonstrations of invisible quality. And notice, they're quite simple, but friends, they're potent. Small actions done repeatedly over time have a big impact. So do good works. Do good works. Let it shine. Not in order to change the world. God will do that. We trust Him. But to be a faithful presence. So don't think you need to do big things. It's true that things like prison reform, the establishment of universities and hospitals and the abolition of slavery. These were grand things that were initiated by Christians. Praise God. Statistically speaking, that may not be us in this room. 
but you can love your neighbors well. You can be the best employee your boss has seen. You can be a faithful friend. All these grand gestures that were initiated by Christians came off the back of the early church who helped the poor, ministered to the leopard, leper, um, adopted children who were abandoned on the side of the road, and they're the kind of people who shared money and shared their food but didn't share their wives. Good works, light of the world, they let it shine. So not all shining lights need to be floodlights. You know, it leave the Katy Perry effect and more like the old hymn. Another example from Philippians 2, 14 to 15. And I share these just because I, I just want to take the pressure off what this good works is going to look like, what it looks like for you this, this evening and tomorrow to shine light. Well, well look at Philippians 2, 14 says this. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You want to shine the light of Christ this week? Are you ready for it? Don't grumble. Don't whinge. Don't complain. How many of us are going to need the grace of God by tomorrow afternoon? How many of us will need the grace of God by this evening? Don't get into arguments. Shine as light. But it's that simple. So I don't want to get too prescriptive what it looks like. It's going to look like a hundred different things in a hundred different contexts. But, but figure it out. Does it look like the Beatitudes? Does it look like Christ would live this out? Is it done by faith for God's glory and others' good? I'm convinced that a life spent cultivating private holiness will be of the most public good. Our conduct will help shine as people see a clearer picture of Jesus. Um... I think a great example of this, I saw if you watch the Olympics, the Australian high jumper, uh, Nicola McDermott. Is anyone familiar with her? Um, it was wonderful. She, um, she's getting a post. She's got silver medal, Australian records. She's getting interviewed. And this interview, which is quite, is actually quite um, incredible, because um, so he said to her, oh, this is a transcript. He said, oh, you've done your job. There's so many questions I want to ask you, but I'll start with your faith. Um, when did this become such a significant part of your life? I, I, was, I was just like, I was like trying to get my wife, I, come listen, to, this is, he's asking about Christian's faith on like live television. This is, it's like kind of watching a potential car crash about to happen, or it could be really good. It could go either way. Let's sit down and watch, grab the popcorn. Sorry, we're there. And, and, and this was amazing. She said, I think as a teenager, I was always an outcast. I got welcomed into a faith community that loved me. And I just remember encountering God's love. And it changed the way I thought of myself as a misfit. Why I was created so tall and stuff. And it gave me passion and purpose to use it. In 2017 was my big moment when it like flicked a switch. Listen, this is what life television. And I decided to pursue God over sport. Whatever comes from sport is a bonus. But I'm already complete, complete and perfect and loved as a person regardless of it. She's shining the light, isn't she? But do you know she's also the product of other Christians who shone their light? She's exposed to a Christian community who loved her, welcomed her in, taught her, proclaimed her the gospel. She now gets to be part of the reflecting light of Christ. And yes, this interview might have been viewed by millions around the world, but it comes off 
her behind-the-scenes work of leading Bible studies for athletes, offering prayer, and in 2017, um, co-founding a faith support group because she knows the difficulties of being a Christian in the athletic arena. Light of Christ, others to glorify God. Now, I don't want to paint the picture that everyone's going to be as supportive. It is true, not everyone will like the light that you shine. Just before this, Jesus said, you'll be persecuted. Persecutions will come your way. Blessed are you. Super encouraging talk from Jesus. Um, But this is true. See, if everyone loved us, then you wouldn't need any encouragement to remain visible. Right? Because if everyone loved the Christian, it would be pretty easy to demonstrate your Christianity. But not everyone does like the light. In fact, they like the darkness. And so they're going to oppose you. There's a story of an English martyrs, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, who were taken to the stake to be burned for the opposition to the Roman Catholic Church. And Latimer turned to Ridley and said, Be of good cheer, Brother Ridley. We have lighted such a candle in England as by the grace of God shall never be put out. Burned at the stake. But their lives are lights all along. They were asked to change their convictions. They were asked to lose their distinctiveness, but they decided to remain salty, to remain a light in a dark world. Um, Opposition is going to come your way if you haven't felt it already. Jesus is saying, don't give in to the temptation to lose your distinctiveness. Remain being a Christian. Live that out. Because we're tempted to withdraw away, Jesus is saying, no, remain and shine. You will be good for something. You'll be part of helping others see Jesus more clearly and so glorify him. You want to help be part of helping people see the goodness of our King? Can you picture people in your life who might need to see the light, who need you to keep walking in holiness, to remain distinct, so you have a credible foundation for when you proclaim the gospel to them? Well, let's ask God in his graciousness to do that. Father, the only way we can be light is because you are the light. And the only way we can remain distinct is because you remain distinct. Father, you... Spirit empowers us, Lord, to to be able to withstand the temptation to um, dilute, to compromise, just take a bit of the world into our lives, Lord, we... Just pray for your spirit's power to resist that, Lord. Help us to be distinct. Help us to be encouraged from the person life of Christ. We didn't compromise, but remain faithful. Pray a blessing over Inogra Baptist Church. I ask, Lord Jesus, the full presence and power of God would continue to fill them. God, there with renewed minds, would see you with greater clarity and conviction and love and delight and they lord would be continually filled for christ's exalting ministry they are a city on a hill up here lord jesus they are a light to the world i pray they may know the joy of that and see the fruit of others glorifying god i pray these things in your name amen